welcome to episode two of Songs from a Padded Envelope. I'm Steve and I'm here with co-host Ben. Hello, Ben. Hi there, Steve. And hello and thanks to everyone who checked out the first episode and helped to share it around the world. We've got a very different conversation for episode two, wouldn't you say? I think it's a very different take on uh, take on what we're expecting. There's something very unique here. Yeah, and it's kind of exciting already to think about the contrast between the the conversation we have with David and the conversation that we have with um, Kyle in, for, for episode two. I think very much so, mate. I think we were looking um, or looking for similarities uh, between people in terms of their experience, but also the the different take on things and where where people come from, what their journeys were like, and just you know two conversations in, and the variety is is opened out already, isn't it? It has, and and looking ahead to what the episodes that we've got lined up. Um, that's only going to be kind of exaggerated further, isn't it? It's all it's diversifying with every with every episode. It looks like, yeah, indeed it is, mate. Um, well, I suppose we should just mention at this point that the caveat for uh, the recording of episode two, we had a, a slight technical issue with your uh, brand new headphones and microphone setup not working, uh, so we had to rely on the uh, laptop mic. So consequently, you sound. I sound like I'm at the bottom of a well, which I've now arisen from. Yeah, (laughs) no no longer in the well. (laughs) He's free of the well, but not for the conversation uh, that is that you're about to hear. So apologies for uh, the the slightly wavering sound quality when when Ben's speaking. Um, But it is it's a really interesting episode, and and um, as we mentioned in the at the start of the conversation, we do know Kyle. and have known Kyle for a long time, but there was such a lot in this conversation that I didn't know about him, and 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 he spoke very honestly about his uh, about his experience with a lot of warmth as well. He did. I think one of the one of the things that you that the listener will get in this in coming to this episode with Kyle is uh, about someone that is incredibly creative, but also has a real humility to the way that he carries himself um, and the way that he talks about, you know, a, a life of making music and a dedication to that. Yeah. It's, it's a, it was a real privilege to hear. Um, if anybody is listening to this and they have a demo tape stuffed in a bag in the bottom of their wardrobe or a CDR that they have held on to uh, since it was recorded in their formative musical careers, you can get in touch with us on songs from a padded envelope at gmail.com we would be really interested to hear from you and uh, talk to you about coming on an upcoming episode uh does that feel like a good point to go into our chat with kyle i think we should listen to listen to kyle lee all right okay this is kyle lee on songs from a padded envelope episode two Right, so I'm um, Kyle. I was once a singer and rhythm slash lead guitarist for a, I suppose you could call us grunge slash alternative um, band based in North Wales called Jives Room. Um, We had a very short gigging period of about three or four years and then disappeared into obscurity. But um, 
yeah, lots of fun memories there, and looking forward to talking about that. And we can we can get we can get into some of those definitely. I suppose um, full disclosure: our paths have crossed in the past many times. <laughs> we, do, we do know one another. Uh, all three of us know one another. Um, but actually, I think in all the years that. I've known you. We haven't ever really talked about the Jive's Room stuff, and it's not something that we've ever really got into. So I'm really look, I'm looking forward to finding out more about. And I don't. I never saw you play. Um, I think you did. I've, oh really? I really remember seeing you and Mark from Slacker at a Bar Blue gig once. I'm sure. Oh, you were really? both there, yeah. That was probably yeah. I did. 2003 go. Yeah. or something like that. Holy moly. Do you know, maybe you might be right. We were that memorable. Now you've said that. Which <laughs> is coming back to you now, mate. It is, well, it's bar blue. You spend half the time watching your back and the other half. <laughs> I'm joking. Um, the tr- what's the track you've chosen to, to speak about? So the track I've chosen is Sega Tizer. Um, once we got to the sort of final lineup of Jive Dream, this was the song that we always ended the set on. Uh, usually resulted in smashing drum kits and ceiling panels and just a bit of a mess. Um, but we recorded it for Adam Walton, who is a BBC Radio Wales DJ. Uh, he asked us to do a session and Neil Crud, who is a sort of, well, he's a bit of a legend to be honest in Wales. Um, he was a punk in the seventies. Um, he's a blogger. He's got his own website. He's still in bands. He, He's just championed music from from what I imagine was his first sort of steps. Um, He got us in the studio for Adam and then we recorded these three songs, which one of them is Sega Tizer. That must have been a huge thumbs up to get that seal of approval from those two people. Oh, it was a big deal for us at the time. There wasn't... um, We we were young, so there wasn't many opportunities for us... um, and a couple of our sort of peers, Gintis, one of them had already done a session for Adam Walton. Um, so to be asked to go and do one was great, but to have Neil Crud in the studio as well, he says he produced it, he didn't. Um, but to have him in there telling us what to do was, um, yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping we can talk a little bit more about that. There's the sort of scene and opportunities in the sort of Welsh Welsh music scene as we get as we get into it a little bit more but sort of given that the the demo is what 17 years old now this recording and can you just go back and talk a little take us back and talk a little bit about how the band came together and and how long it was before you actually got ready to make a recording so we were all uh well four out of the five of us were all friends in Uskaldewisant in primary school um i was i'd been given a guitar at the age of 10 i think uh played the odd oasis track and beatles song the rest of them sort of sang along with me um and then i moved to australia so for four or five years i was living there and when i came back they'd started a band and they were called jive's room uh wayne was singing going on drums and lewis on bass um, but they were just doing covers, so Nirvana, Foo Fighters, Muse, Green Day, all the sort of indie alternative stuff that was around at the time. I went down to one, uh, one of the practices one day uh, just because I was bored and they were my mates and that's what they were doing um, and picked up a guitar. 
played played along to a couple of Nirvana tracks, but the the song that got me in the band was um, "Don't Panic" by Coldplay, um, because they were playing that, and I could play slide guitar. I played the slide solo at the end. They had a, a couple of minute sort of meeting after it, and then uh, I got the job. So um, I think it was Lewis. Or Gwyn, I can't remember who it was. It might have been no, it was Gwyn came in and said, "Yeah, we want you. We want you in the band." So I I played um, rhythm for a while for a few months um just along with wayne playing the nirvana tracks but then i started to write a few songs but wayne wasn't writing songs and it got to a point where it made sense for me to be singing because you know wayne couldn't sing my songs he didn't know the melodies didn't know the words but i did so that was it i sort of uh, muscled in that way and started singing for jive room and where were you rehearsing at that, at, at that point? There was quite a few different locations. Started off in, I think, Wayne's house, um, in his mum's living room. Then his neighbours got annoyed, so we had to move on. We went to Gwyn's house, a few there, a few in my mum's house. We started in the, my mum's garage, and my old neighbour, Eddie, told us we were too loud, so we moved into the living room. We were still too loud, and then we got the keys to the real scout hut which was behind the little theater and next to the um the postal depot um so there was no neighbors around no one to get annoyed it was just our space it was just this sort of raw not raw time um sort of corrugated metal tin so it was really hot in the summer and it was really cold in the winter but it was nice and it was ours and we'd go there every saturday we practiced from about midday till about six or seven in the evening. Um, and they, yeah, that was us for about two years, every Saturday. How much that, that shift from having somebody like one of the band's houses that you could rehearse in, and then you've got that shift into a space that's your own. Can you sort of describe that, that, that change in the way that how the band changed from sort of being under the watchful eye of parents even if they're kind of leaving you to it, into we've got our own place now. It had its pros and cons. So we were, we were quite crafty and we always planned it to rehearse at a certain band member's house when their family was away. So there was never any family members around. It was just our neighbours that were sort of in the way. Um, but it would always result in a messy night, shall we say. So we'd practice at what at one of our houses but we'd end up staying over that night and then the next day it would be like, oh shit, we need to tidy up and, you know, my mum's coming home soon. Um, whereas when we moved to the Scout Hut, although we didn't get to leave our gear there, once we were set up, that was us for the day. And we did have a, you know, a, an official ending time. We had to be out of there by seven. So it was like, well, we've got to get all this done by seven and then we'll go take our stuff home you know drop our drums and guitars and everything off and then we'll go out so it was a bit more sensible (laughs) we did get a lot more done we started to um go to morrison's quite a lot which was across the road and sort of half an hour lunch break would then turn into an hour lunch break because we would just sit in morrison's cafe having a having a full i I like the i like your neighbor eddie eddie nice (laughs) oh yeah he was a pain eddie he came. Down, he was an old rock and roller, as he used to call himself. And he'd come. He'd come to the 
um, to the garage door and he'd be like, I don't, I don't mind your music, but it, you just turn it down a little bit. And he was so deaf. So I don't know how he heard us. Um, <laughs> but he'd be like, just turn it down a little bit. So we did. And then we closed the door cause it was hot in there. So we used to leave it open and, you know, close the garage door. Um, and then when we moved into the house, there was no way he heard us because the house was quite big and it was separated by a living room, which was built with 18 inch brick walls. There's no, there's just no way he heard us, but he liked to moan and he'd be knocking on the window going, I, I like your music, but can you just turn it down a little bit? <laughs> it wasn't even late. It was about, you know, three or four in the afternoon. But I think he just knew that it was going to, there was going to be some sort of party after as well. And, you know, stop it. <laughs> and you talked a little bit about some of your personal influences, band influences, but say a little bit more about that. What was, what was, what were you listening to? We were time? all massively into Nirvana. And I think, you know, you speak to any, anyone that's in a band like Jai's Room, they, they'll all say Nirvana, but everyone had their own individual um, influences. I was, once the, the Vines debut album, Highly Evolved came out, once that sort of hit the, the shelves that was a massive influence on my songwriting i used to kind of listen to that and think well how is he writing happy pop songs that in a grunge manner um i do that quite a bit uh we were all well into green day as well our bassist lewis um big green day fan and that sort of crept into the jives room tracks at the same time um but yeah it was basically anything that anyone that had been in nirvana did that's what we were into so Food Fighters became quite important the the Queens of Stone Age album with Dave Grohl drumming that was a massive influence on us uh, I know some local bands as well I mean there was a band called Carpet um they were huge influences on Jai's Room um still are you know the very good band they're still around they're not still around but I still listen to their stuff and I think the, the rest of the lads do because it's it's got that nice nostalgic feel to the demos but yeah i remember listening to a couple of john's tracks and thinking how is he doing that and i know our guitarist alan was quite impressed with john's pedal setup and it was always um it was always played in our flat that we had together so there was a good a good local scene that you um, could go out to see bands the people you knew and stuff yeah um but i mean i haven't really been part of a scene like that since we were all very young, so we were sort of between the ages of 15 and 18 when we first started playing live in Bar Blue in Rill, which was a it was a brand new nightclub. Um, we had our first proper gig there, and then there was bands like Gintis, Carpet, um, who else was around? Junebug. There was all these bands that I now know as very good friends, but at the time I'd never seen these guys before, and they were all so much older than us we were lucky to get in there but got away with being in there and mixing with the crowd so this scene sort of developed and it was all down to one man called steve rostin um i don't know how true this is but rumor had it that he was a band manager for some band back in the early 90s and then he'd retired and settled in rail and started putting these band nights on in this club on a wednesday and then pretty much straight away it, they became the busiest nights of that club. I mean, it, the Fridays and Saturdays in there were horrible. They were the, the music was shit, but there was no one in there. But you could go there on a Wednesday and it was full of decent sound people 
all there to watch bands and it didn't matter what sort of bands were on if there was metal or punk or reggae or whatever it, it everyone went anyway it was a really good scene at the time it was i mean i moved to north wales um only a little bit before that like in 2000 uh, end of 1999 to begin in 2000 and um i was really struck by how um how vibrant the scene was and how supportive of each other everybody seemed to be as I started to sort of explore it a little bit and get to know some people and then eventually meeting you guys yeah it wasn't that much longer after that um but the the influences of people like Steve Rastid and Neil Crudd and Adam Walton and what that engendered in the scene as it were um was it was huge actually they were they were ever present those those folks and in a really positive way i mean for for young bands to have the opportunities that were afforded them through the scene being so healthy i mean i've not really experienced anything like that before and that sort of spread didn't it into so like you're saying that this was recorded for the the, the song was recorded for an adam Walton yeah, session right. is that right um so you had an opportunity to get on the radio and to and to get some public and like really valuable experience um how I mean were you aware that that was actually quite a rare thing that you were you know the opportunities that you were being afforded now by the I am, yeah but at the time no because I was so young and I wasn't I'd never really been out on a regular basis to nightclubs or band nights you know it was this was my first sort of just dipping my toes into the into a music scene I just assumed this is what it's like for everyone when they're growing up but when I look back now I realize what a big thing Steve did uh for the North Wales music scene as a whole he he managed to get bands from Anglesey, Bangor um well, all along the North Wales coast sometimes from you know sort of Manchester Liverpool way to come and play this really shitty bar on a Wednesday but to a, a great audience. And I think a lot of it was um, Neil Crud has, he still got it, but he had this um, website called Link to Wales um, and he'd review them. So on a, on a Thursday afternoon, you'd be able to read about the bands that had just been there. So people were doing it, you know, like I said, um, Kentucky AFC from Angle, I think they were Anglesey or Bangor, I can't remember now. Um, they'd come down and they were quite big. They were, they were on the Welsh music channels, uh, S4C, they were on the, bandit tv show and that they would come down and play and it would be great to watch them but i think they'd get a review out of it and it was you know, it sort of worked both ways for everyone um but yeah i didn't really appreciate what we had until it was oh yeah that was that was great and are these are these people still key players then um it's a question to both of you because i'm not knowing not living in Wales, there's a lot knowing about the scene. from the scene have gone on to start different bands or different projects um there's a band that we gigged with ages ago with, this was with Gintis now, um, called Pep Le Pew, And one of their MCs has gone on to become, well, I think it's safe to say one of the better beatboxers in the world. And he's, uh, he's doing great for himself. Yeah, that's fun, yeah. Um, there's others that have gone on to form other bands or solo projects, but by and large, a lot of the people have, have done something with music that were around at, at the time um just in different sort of forms and neil crud is still championing new music all the time you know really 
passionately. Um, there's a brilliant interview with him actually on um, Grant Sharkey's podcast. I don't know if you've come across Grant and his work, uh, but he's he's brilliant. He's a really talented uh, songwriter and bass player who's making 40 albums over 20 years. And uh, it's kind of every six months he releases a new album, then he'll tour it wow. to keep himself going. Yeah, he's a man, and he's, he's incredibly funny and political and, uh, I mean, super, super talented. And actually he's started to – we put him on at tape a few years ago and uh, he's now kind of got a few gigs embedded in the North Wales scene, but has become really friendly with Neil Crudd. It's sort of an inevitability that the two of them would, their paths would cross. And uh, uh, there's a great interview with uh, Neil on Grant's podcast, which in which he talks about his sort of history of supporting new music in North Wales. It's great. And he's still, as you know, he seems as passionate as, as he ever was. It's an amazing thing to have in the community. To, to play and to watch you know, he, he turned up at um, my, my new band. He turned up at one of our gigs on a, it was like a Thursday night in Liverpool. I wasn't expecting to see him, but he was there. He's always gigging himself with Spam Javelin. Um, and he just, like you said, he's a champion of music. And he just, he, I think that man will die with a guitar in his hand. Did you manage to um, kind of ta- using the the sort of the local scene and how healthy it was in North Wales, did that translate into opportunities in South Wales as Not well? Not at all. Not for Jive's Room anyway. Um, we we were our, our own worst nightmares when it came to playing outside of Rill or anywhere outside of North Wales, really. We never played in South Wales. Um, we had a gig in Newcastle and we had a couple in Chester and I think one in Manchester, but that was basically our sort of outside of Wales gigs but the thing is none of us could drive we were we were all quite young so none of us had cars uh, we relied on family members to drop us off at bar blue on a wednesday night and then pick us up on a thursday afternoon to, to get all the gear um and then as we all did well i say all i still don't drive but as the rest of them started to learn to drive it was university time so we, that was it that was the end of the band um but if you look at the next band that I joined, Gintis, um, this happened a little bit for us because of the likes of Slacker Records. Um, they put us on a, a tour in 2004, I think, or 2005 with some quite big Welsh bands. And we did get to go down to Cardiff and we played in Aberystwyth and we've since gone back down and we've played in Cardiff again and different, you know, different venues around Wales. Um and it's all about making a name for yourself to get down to South Wales. But I think most bands uh, will either embrace the Welsh music scene or they'll go on and start trying to play in Liverpool and Manchester and London or, you know, somewhere else. Um, Wales isn't really massive on a lot of bands' radars. And then you've got festivals like Focus Wales that are trying to say to people, well, you know, it should be. It should be a massive thing on your radar now you should come and play in Wrexham you should go and play in Bangor um and they're doing a great job they really are yeah it's an amazing event so when you go back to the the jives um sort of making of the first demos and stuff um what were your kind of aspirations what did you I mean you talked about how young you were but what did you what did you want to come from it what did you do with the demo when you made it the first one that we did, um, it was all about, it was all about selling it. Um, we wanted to make enough money to make another one. So I think we were 
I think it, we were selling it for three pound, and we did. You know, we sold a few at gigs and around school because we were still in year ten or eleven at the time. Um, so we we did sell a few. Um, I think my granddad bought about eight. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, that was basically it. it. Was a stepping stone to get into the studio again and spend more time there. The second one that was when we listened back to it and thought you know, this is all right and we could probably get this on the radio and try and get some better gigs out of it. So I would send it off to the likes of Night and Day in Manchester or the Zanzibar in Liverpool or, you know, all these venues that were quite big on the scene. I think maybe heard back from one or two of them. Um, but yeah, that was there were stepping stones. It was never about um, making anything big out of it we knew that the studio that we were using in Wrexham although we loved it there we knew it wasn't anything special and that the amount of time we were we were rattling out like three or four tracks in a day um and we knew that that wasn't how you did it um that you you, you know you should spend at least a day on a on a track and get everything sounding right or just a day on the drums if you're going to do a couple of tracks but we couldn't afford it I think one or two of us had jobs so they were just stepping stones, really. And then we got a couple of um, radio plays from Adam Walton from the second demo. Um, that that was kind of showed that showed us that um, you know we're on the right track and people do like it, and you know it's radio worthy. So let's keep on keep on with that, really. Uh, how did you feel hearing yourself on the radio the first uh, time? Did you know it was coming on? Uh, yeah, I had an email, but I was amazed. Like it was really nice and Adam Walton's really sort of sound about what he says he never well he wouldn't play you if he doesn't like you but he always has something nice to say about you um but yeah I was dead proud and I've always had um my granddad's been dead interested in what I've got to do musically so I was I remember sending him um I, I think I've recorded it on an old phone or I can't remember how I recorded it but I recorded like a sound bite of what he had to say and he was he was dead happy about that um, so yeah, that was that was a big deal for me. How important was it for you to have have that sort of family support? Uh, you know, at a young age and like these little milestones that you're achieving. You know, your granddad buying your demos and coming to your shows and and you know being so supportive for, for something like your first radio play. How uh, how important was that? And was that was that the same sort of experience for everybody else? Um, no, we all had different family backgrounds. Some more interested than others uh, Gwyn's dad uh, really interested in what we did as a band for me personally um, it had always been there my family have always been very supportive of what I've done um, but yeah especially with my granddad he was just he's he's our biggest fan and he always will be and I think from time to time he wonders why Jive Room split up but he, he came to quite a few gigs in Bar Blue so we're talking like a, a six at the time 60 65 year old man in the middle of all these 20 year olds or younger and he was the biggest fan there so you know he you know he loved it and i i was quite proud to show him um we had other family members that would turn up alan when he joined uh, his dad massively into music he'd he'd come to quite a lot of the gigs and he'd travel all the way, all the way from denby <laughs> and then um at the end of the gig he'd drop us all off on the way home and it would it'd probably take him about two hours to get back to denby dropping people off in real and Dizzerth and another one in kimmel bay and but he'd, he'd do that and they were always supportive 
So yeah, just going back to the question about the demo and stuff, did you send that demo out to, to record labels and stuff? I had a list of Welsh labels that had bands that I was interested in. So like Super Furry Animals before they signed to Creation, um, Gorky's, all these little labels like Angst. I'd, I've found, I can't remember how, but I found all their postal addresses. I think it must have been on the internet. Um, and I, I had a little list full of them and it was always my to-do list and it never really got accomplished. But I think I sent about seven or eight to different labels never heard anything back at all um if it was now i mean it would be different it's so easy to just drop a file in someone's soundcloud dropbox but at the time it was oh yeah i'll do that i'll do i will do that but i never really did but there was a few i did someone to angst and i was a bit gutted that never heard one i never heard back from them really so um what would you say that was sort of the landmark achievements for uh, for for Jai's room and and uh and, and ultimately what brought it brought it to a close my f- personal favorite and i suppose landmark achievement for Jai's room was playing in Goilgarth uh, sorry Goilgarth Goth which was in Carnarvon um I, f- I don't know if they ever did this festival again or if it was just once but Gorky's headlined it. Carl Gintis was there, who was my best friend, but he, I wasn't in a band with him at the time. And my band, Jai's Room, were playing, and I was so happy to be playing this gig. Um, we we camped there, we made a weekend of it. It was a beautiful weekend. It might have even been my first proper festival that I'd been to, but it was a great weekend either way, um, and we got to play that. that I think that was... Um, the highlight of my gigging career with Jai's Room. We had loads of loads of great nights, always messy, always noisy, and things ended up broken. But that one was that was a good gig for us. Why did how did Jai's Room come to come to an end? Uh, it basically was university, so we all went to different places from North Wales. Um, Gwyn ended up in Liverpool, Alan in Leeds, and I went to Bangor, um, and it just became impossible to get together we tried we we actually had a a bit of a family meeting when we all passed our a levels and i say family meeting because all of our families were there and my mum was trying to say well you need to keep this band together let's you know these guys are good but it just doesn't work like that life moves on and everyone got girlfriends and just you know you move on um we did play some gigs I think we got called the three-headed monster gig, which was Jai's Room, Gintis and Junebug. Um, so we used to play the Bar Blue Christmas edition, which was always the Wednesday before Christmas. We played them for a couple of years whilst we were in uni, but that was basically it. We did get in the studio one, one more time to record a three-track demo, which I think is personally our best stuff. Um but yeah, that that was the end. Everyone had moved on by then. I also um, I got asked to join Gintis about a year before that, so I'd I'd taken that on board. Um, was doing a lot with Gintis, and then Gwyn, Lewis, and Wayne from Jive Room decided to have a a break and and do a a side project, which was great. They were called Grand Park, and Alan whilst was in, whilst he was in uni started. Um, I feel really bad. I can't remember his name, the name of his band, but he started a very good band. Um, so it just, everyone just went off in their, their own directions, really. 
it doesn't sound like uh, it doesn't sound like you've got any sort of regrets attached to <clears throat> attached to Jive's room and and how it came to an end in a very sort of natural sort of way. Not at all. I, I, I technically am still in Jive's room. We've never, no one's ever gone right. That's it. We're done. Um, and if I, every now and then I do get drunk and I'll message them and say, "When are we doing this anniversary gig?" Um, but that never never happens. If they got in touch tomorrow and said, do you want to have a jam? I'd be up for that. And I know most of them would be. Um, but yeah, no one, we're all mates. We're, we're all there from, apart from Alan, we're all there from very early age. I've known Wayne since I was about five. Um, everyone's been to each other's weddings and, you know, we love each other and we always will. And it's And it's just there idling, ready for you to, Whenever, when the kind of when it all aligns, so that you can get in a room and play together again, you could just do it. It's, yeah, it's just, well, it's just like there. in two years' time, it would be a some sort of twenty-year anniversary. So it would sound, it would make sense to do it then. But we'll, we'll absolutely, we'll yeah. See about that. So after after Giles, obviously, you talked about about uh, Gintis, and and that's that's kind of a rolling project, isn't it? Gintis, that, that's kind of uh continued since then but what are you doing what are you up to now musically i've started a band called cow um that's been going about two years now um i still do play with gintis as and when that happens uh but cow has been my main project for about two years we've recorded an ep we're in the process well we were supposed to be recording another ep but obviously with lockdown happening um finding it hard to get in the studio so that'll happen in a few months hopefully um but that's my main musical project i'm quite happy with it to be honest how is what you want out of music and what your expectations around music how has that changed um sort of from going back 17 years to now what what what's motivating you to make music and what, what where do you want it to take you i like spending time with my mates that's how it always started and that's how it's always been. Um, Gintis is a prime example of that. It's just about getting in a room with five or six other lads, having a laugh, making some nice music. And if other people get it, that's fine. But it's not the end of the day. It's not the end of the world if they don't get it because we do. Um, and that's how it's always been with me. Cow is the same. The four of us get in the room. It's just for us. We we have a practice, we enjoy it, and then other people seem to enjoy it and then put us on at gigs, which is great. But I would quite happily just practice with my mates and record. I love the whole recording process. Um, I think the only thing that's changed is the amount of time that we spend on recording compared to what Room did. They were very rushed, do-everything-in-a-day demos. Um, you actually taught us, Steve, that... Um, you know, spend a bit of time on it, make it sound beautiful or as beautiful as you can and enjoy it, which is the main thing. Um, that's the philosophy of Gintis, which I've taken on to Cow. So we do spend a lot of time on the recording, but at the end of the day, if no one hears it, we're not that bothered because we're doing it for ourselves. Have you have you ever kind of, uh, I mean, the music that you're making, you, you've, always, you've always been a really passionate musician and songwriter and you've, you've had lots of projects going with you know mexican walking fish and there was another project between that and cow was there um oh no before mexican walking fish i played bass in a band called sona 
Oh, yeah. But it's always been there, hasn't it? You've always... Uh, has there been a period where you haven't been in a band? Um, no, I think, um, yeah, because I started Jive Dream when, like I said, well, I didn't start it, but I joined when I was about 14, 15. Still in that band. <laughs> and then I joined Guinness a couple of years after that, and I'm still in that band. So most of my life has been taken up by being in bands. Um, but that's why that's why I'm no good at football. I'm no good at computer games i'm terrible well i'm terrible at everything <laughs> but i'm quite good at being in bands so i i'll stick to that bit yeah that'll that'll be me till i die i think no i was just i was just thinking about one of the things that you and i have talked about steve is about how um uh songs kind of locate a, a time and a place and a, a feeling and memories and stuff so i was just wondering for you kyle when you go back and listen to listen to say guitar what does it what does it evoke for you where does it where do you end up i had to listen to it tonight before we had this um because i don't listen you know i don't listen to jive room very often and it took me back to a certain gig that we had um lewis our bassist used to, i'm a lot fatter than i used to be but he used to be able to support me on his shoulders and there was one gig where we were playing that song and it got to the bass breakdown at the end I got on top of his shoulders and the accidentally the guitar went through the ceiling, ended up, and then <laughs> you know, because of that, we ended up trashing the place and it was like, well, the ceiling's broken, we may as well trash everything. Um, it took me straight back to that and it took me back to feeling like 16. Um, I think it's that sort of music that you can listen to when you're young and it, you, you listen back to it again and it, it just takes you straight back to that age, really. Very fond memories. I think that's a really good point to listen to Sega Tizer, I would say. Um, Kyle, thank you so much for doing this uh, and for sharing your stories. And this is Sega Tizer by Jai's Room.
Songs from a Padded Envelope is presented, produced and edited by Steve Swindon and Ben Clay. Music is by state-sponsored Jukebox. Artwork is by Matt Cannon. Songs from a Padded Envelope is a Hidden Five production.